EDM Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Matler, and it's my job to interview successful producers, engineers, and people in the industry, experts in the industry. And today I have a very special guest. His name is Trevor, but he's better known as Said the Sky. Now, I love this interview. I hope you do too. Here are three things you'll learn about in this episode. Number one, how Said the Sky approaches a new song. Two, why he left Berkeley School of Music. Which if you haven't heard of Berkeley, it's a very reputable school. Uh, not many people just leave or decide to leave. Uh, and, and the third thing you'll learn is how he got the opportunity to work with Seven Lines, which to me is a story of persistence and patience. Um, so that happens near the end. Make sure you listen to the end to hear about that. Again, hope you enjoy listening. If you do, head over to edmpro.com forward slash iTunes to leave a rating and review. I'd really, really appreciate it. It helps immensely. And finally, you can find the full show notes for this episode over at edmproduct.com forward slash 63. That is edmproduct.com forward slash 63. Without further ado, here is Said the Sky. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Trevor, also known as Said the Sky. Uh, Trevor, how's it going? It's going great, man. How are you? I'm really, really good. And I'm so pumped for this interview. Now, tell us about who you are, first of all. And, and how you got into music, what the journey's been like. Give us all the details about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, my name is Trevor Christensen. I was born and raised in Arvada, Colorado. And a, I would say in about second grade is when my mom threw me into piano lessons, um, which was fun at first. You know, after a few years of that, though, I kind of hated it and really wanted out. And so... <laughs> I left, I stopped playing piano, but then I immediately picked up the trombone of all instruments. I don't know why I started playing that for a couple of years and then quickly missed being able to play a lot of notes at one time. So I kind of went back to piano, but also started getting into percussion. So this was around high school. I got into marching band and I was in the pit or the front ensemble playing marimba. And so did that for about three years while taking more piano lessons. And then, um, my senior year of high school, I got into this digital audio production program, which was awesome um, because half of my day while I was at school, I just went to some other, a different campus and they had this Warren Tech program. It was just like a specialty program where you could take different kind of courses, you know, and so I got into the digital audio program. So half of my day every day was just dedicated to production and recording and engineering and all that. That's kind of what uh, helped me really start getting into production in the first place, you know, because up until then it was all just uh, performance and playing kind of based as far, like, as far as instruments go, you know, it's just 
figuring out music and theory and all that. And so after high school, I went to Berkeley College of Music for about a year. I was there for two semesters. And that was super awesome, super fun. Uh, I'd say the coolest thing, honestly, if anybody's like thinking about going to a school like that, that's crazy expensive, but is just dedicated to music. It, the only time that I personally think it would be like, it would have been way more worth it for me if I would have gone to some, like a community college, something cheaper that was closer to get out all of my general courses, you know, all the gen ed classes and test into exactly the courses and classes that I wanted to take when I was at Berkeley. Cause the two semesters I was there, I was just taking basic courses, you know, like ear training one music theory one, like all the base level things, which is like, they're all valuable courses and stuff that everybody needs to know. But for how much I was paying out there, I felt like I would have rather spent my time learning exactly what I wanted being production and engineering, you know, and like writing a track and composing it, producing it, mixing it down and mastering like all of this stuff that I'm actually going to use to finish and complete a final product, you know? So I think the biggest thing that I got out of there while I was there was just all the people that you ran. Every single conversation out there was started with, yo, what do you play? What kind of music are you into? It was, it was so sick. And, uh, so you meet a lot of really cool people that can teach you a lot out there. The first semester I went, I got, um, I got really good grades actually, which was sweet because I did not get great grades in high school, but I like crushed my first semester out there. But to do that, all I was doing is like showing up to class, coming home, doing my homework, like tinkering around and like, I think it was reason or logic at the time I think, and then going to bed and then waking up class homework. You know, I wasn't like getting out meeting people and like experiencing that college. So second semester, I definitely did more of that, but did not get great grades, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, if I ever, for whatever reason, decided to go back, I think I would. So why, why did you leave then? I left just because of how expensive it was honestly. And I didn't feel like I was getting exactly what I need. My time there was awesome, but personally, and I don't want to, the school is amazing. All the teachers are great. You know, you can go and take the classes that you want. You definitely should. Um, but for what I was learning and for what I wanted to be learning, I felt like I could easily get what I needed to know out of either books or YouTube, which is honestly what ended up happening. And just through other people, you know, meeting people and talking to people and sitting in the studio with another human and learning tricks from them and like just, just doing it, you know, rather than sitting in a class reading through a book and the teacher being like, okay, did you read the chapter? Sweet. Read the next chapter. See you in a week. You know, I don't know. There was, it was just interesting. So and then from Berkeley to now, I mean, how long ago was that when you were at Berkeley? Uh, Berkeley, I want to say I left. It was spring of 2012 was my last semester at Berkeley. And so since then, I came back home to Denver and was living with my mom for a little while and got, I had a bunch of jobs at that point that I, I was working at Costco and PacSun and this random place called Cutco, which is like, you run around just, you basically are cold calling like friends and family. Like, hey, can I sell you knives? Like awkward. And I felt really bad every time I would manipulate somebody into buying <laughs> knives. I was like, I can't do this. Like this is not for me. And then I ended up finding a job at, through my uncle actually, who also uh, makes some music and like helped me 
a lot when it came to learning mixing and production and all that stuff. It was pretty cool. But he knew somebody who was working at this company called FSW. It's just like a restaurant supply company. And so I got in with them and ended up working with them full time for like three, four years, I think. Um, and that was great. They were amazing to work for though. At, at least at first they were just like very supportive of, I was always straightforward with them. You know, as soon as I started working there, I was like, Hey, like I really like music and I'm really trying to push this whole like project thing. And you know, I can't do overtime. Like once I'm done with my shift, I have to go home and like try and work on music, you know, like some nights it might, you know, a lot of nights, obviously I didn't get any work. I was just sitting there like banging my head on the desk, like trying, nothing would happen. But, you know, you, I felt like I still had to put in that time, you know, to figure it out. And so, but they were always supportive of that. They were like, totally, I think it's great that you're doing that, et cetera. And so, uh, finally, and this was like a year or two ago. Now I was able, actually about a year ago, I was finally able to be like, yo guys, putting in my two weeks, I can finally do music full time. Um, which was like the best feeling ever. You know what I mean? Um, just being able to finally know that I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing with my life. I think that was like the moment that I like, I, I like teared up a little bit that day. I was super excited. That was like the one thing I would always been dreaming about, you know, since I was a little kid, I just like doing it, you know, even though I hated piano lessons, something in me knew that I wanted to do music at the time. So I was kind of blessed, you know, to have found music that early and found out that I wanted to do that. Um, and so that was a huge moment for me, just being able to be like, yo, I've like, in my eyes, I've like made it anything past this point. Like, obviously I'm for higher and higher, but I can always look back at that moment and be like, cool. Like I accomplished the one thing that I've always wanted to accomplish. Yeah. I actually read an interview. It was a few years back and you said exactly that. That was the question really? was, yeah, it was like, what, what is successful to you? And you're like doing it full time. So I don't think at, during this interview, you, you were doing it full time, but it sounded, it sounds like you made that deliberate decision. You know, you, you get this job, you're like, Hey, this is how it's going to be. Like I'm, I'm pursuing the music thing. I need to do this after work. I think that intentionality is so important, but did you find, let's say halfway between those three, four years, I mean, was it a struggle? Was it like, oh, am I actually able to do this? Like, will I be able to do it full time? Did you ever have those thoughts or was it like light at the end of the tunnel all the time? Totally. I think it was very much light at the end of the tunnel. I think it was always a struggle. Just where the struggle for me came in is sitting at my desk job at work, being like having an idea in my head and not being able to work on it. That is the toughest, you know what I mean? But I mean, to be honest, when I left the job, there's a lot of things about having a job that you take for granted, you know, when you have it. I get to separate myself entirely from music every day, get out of the house, focus entirely on something else, and then come back to music at the end of the day, totally fresh and able to just like crank on something if I have an idea, you know, whereas when you don't have that and you just wake up, like my routine now is pretty mundane. It's not anything exciting. I like an average day for me is waking up, running to a coffee shop around the corner, you know, grabbing a breakfast burrito and a coffee, coming home, eating that, waking up a little bit and then jumping in the studio, you know, and working on that. And so it's like, I don't see much, there's not, I don't do anything other than that, you know, so it's not always the most inspired, you know, I've made it work for me so I can still get work done and find inspiration in little things. But having a job, it's like a whole nother level of you're completely separated that way. When you come back, it's you're totally fresh and like regenerated a little bit. 
Yeah, for sure. Is there anything else uh, that, not that you took for granted, but like anything else about being a full-time artist you might have had some misconceptions about or you were surprised at? Oh, totally. Um, I think one of the biggest things was the shift in mentality that you have towards music once it becomes your career. You know, well, yeah, when you're like growing up making music in your bedroom, it's super fun. Not to say it's not fun now. I still love it more than anything in the whole world. But there's a huge change once it becomes your business, because then you start having to worry about things that you never even thought of before. You know, when you're in your bedroom making music, the only thing going through your head is this is super fun. How can I be more creative? What do I want to hear next? What can I do? How can I push myself? Like that's all, those are the only thoughts really going through your brain. At least for me, that's what was going through my brain when I was just in my room making music. But as soon as it becomes a career, it's now like, okay, shoot, I have like a brand and I have to make this like approachable to a massive audience, but also have my own sound. Like I'll make a song and be like, who's going to like this song? Like, Hey, you listen to this. Is this a good song? You know, it's like, it's crazy. You have to find a good, at least for me, that's just been a struggle that I've had lately is being able to exactly between like, I love making this and this is what I want to hear. But also is this something that I can realistically be making and release as a project and do enough of like in this style or vibe or genre or whatever you want to call it and be happy with it and like sustain a brand, you know? That's interesting that you said that because listening to your music, like I got the impression that you just roams free creatively because it does sound so unique and creative and very like diverse. So it's interesting that you, you take that into consideration as well. And you struggle with that. Like so many, pretty much every other artist I've talked to on the show says the same thing. The fact that you recognize that has been like a struggle for me. You know what I mean? Cause I don't want people to, Lately, what I've been trying to focus on is really like honing in on a sound, you know, and when I say lately, I mean pretty within the last like eight months to a year of been, you know, making music, it's been more like looking back and being like, holy cow, this is all over the place. I have like a really chill track here. And then the next track I release is like some dark trap tune doesn't follow at, you know what I mean? It's really hard to advertise a brand, you know, or even like push yourself to a promoter when you have music that's that different because they have no idea what you're going to play the show. You know what I mean? So it's been, it's been good though, being able to like hone in on my sound and like, cause it also just kind of helps me become more and more confident in what I truly love about music. You know, this, this might be a hard question to answer, but I feel like a lot of people come across their sound uh, naturally, but I also think there are a lot of artists who, who like you were saying, hone in on it think about it, uh, think about it practically. Over the last eight months to a year, how have you thought about, I need to develop my own sound, how am I going to do this? Is there anything, any systems you've put in place, any practical things, or is it just how you think about it? It's so, it's all over the place, if I'm being honest. Like, there's no one way that I've thought about it. A lot of it has been like, like, like you said, when you listen to my music, it's all over the place. So it's been me making music all over the board, you know what I mean? And then really like, after the fact, deciding like, okay, I really liked this and could definitely do this again. I really like this. I don't really like this one as much, um, you know, and just kind of like picking and choosing what I've already made. And like, it's just kind of learning more and more about yourself in a way, because you keep making all these different songs and you start learning what you're good at and what you really enjoy making as opposed to what's just like, you know, too 
what, manufactured, if that makes, I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit of both. It's like playing around with it and hoping that it comes across naturally as well as keeping an eye out for it, you know? For sure. Do you get, uh, like, like, do you get members of your audience, fans, followers complain about the fact that like, you know, one month you might release this kind of song and then another month release something completely different or do you not get much of that? Luckily, no. I mean, of course, there's always the few comments here and there on like either SoundCloud or YouTube that was like, well, this wasn't expected. But luckily, a lot of the people that listen to my music are super nice and super awesome. So they're always like, yo, I wasn't expecting this, but I'm like super happy with how it turned out. Or this is really, you know, they're pretty open to it, which I'm blessed to have, you know, a fan base that is open to that. But yeah, I'm definitely trying to hone in a little bit more, like I was saying. For sure, for sure. Uh one thing I've noticed is that a lot of exceptional artists have had mentors or, or key people that have helped them along the road. Have you had any people like that, any key people that have come alongside and like teach you stuff? You mentioned your uncle, um, but anyone else? So yeah, my uncle definitely. Um, and then not too long after I got that job at FSW, that same uh, girl that my uncle knew over there, she knew this other guy whose name is Chris Cox and he goes by like, he goes by Omega. He's another dude out here in Denver who just like crushes it. He's got some of the most amazing ears and can hear the craziest shit that when I first started working with him, um, I sat down in the studio to have him like mix and master some of my tunes and to teach me what he was doing along the way, you know, rather than just sending it to him and being like, okay, send something cool back. Like I wanted to be learning what he was doing. And so we would sit in the studio and he'd start EQing out frequencies and like compressing certain bands. I was just like, what are you do? It was all going straight over. I was like, how are you hearing this? Like I had zero idea. He taught me so much just as far as being able to like critically listen to a mix and really understand how something should sound, which I still obviously have a long way to go. You know, I'm, I don't think I'll ever reach a point where I'm like, yep, I know exactly how a mix should sound, but he definitely got me to a next level from where I was at when I first started. Um, and then he also at the time was helping out Nick Elenium, um, which is how I ended up meeting him. One day he was just like, yo, you guys are doing some really, I think you guys can make some really cool things together. Um, because at, at that time we were both, we were very different stylists. I was very like liquid dubstep, you know what I mean? Very chill step oriented. And Nick was very heavy, aggressive, you know, like bass growls and stuff. And I was wanting to go that direction a little bit more. And so he was like, yeah, you guys should link up sometime. And so, yeah, we got together one day and I think over the course of like a week or two, we wrote, um, drop our hearts part two, which we were both in love with. We were stoked on how that turned out. And then, uh, he had to move out pretty shortly after that. And I was also trying to still move out of my mom's basement at the time. So I was just like, yo, let's like move in together. And he was like, yeah. So I ended up moving in with him and Sean, who is currently his, um, tour manager slash manager. Once I moved in with Nick, it was the most amazing, just process of us bouncing knowledge off of each other, you know, back and forth. Like he knew so much more than me about mixing drums and processing and just making things sound great. You know what I mean? And like finishing a song, like in really finishing a song and perfecting something. So the whole final product sounds great, you know? And I had a lot to bring to the table as far as like music theory, you know, just from Berkeley, you know, and marching band in high school. And so 
it was like the coolest, like when we were writing music together, it was so flowy. We would just sit down and like one of us would sit in the chair and crank out an idea. You know what I mean? Cause they had some ideas flowing. As soon as they were done, the other person would have an idea and would sit in the chair and start cranking away at something else. It was so, so cool. It was like, yeah, it's been the best working with him. Honestly, I don't think I've ever worked with somebody e- more easily than I've worked with Nick in the past. It sounds like such a cool environment, you know, to be living together, just like music, you know, music totally. and, and flying together. That's amazing. Now you've got a pretty interesting live setup. You don't just use, you know, CDJ two thousands like ninety nine percent of other people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> tell us, tell us about your live setup and and how it's developed over time. Actually, before you do that, why have a complex live setup? Why not just use CDJs? I mean, it's easier, surely. Uh, honestly, for me, um, <laughs> it's easier as far as setup goes for sure, and just being able to show up with a flash drive or an SD card. Um, but for me, I'm way less stressed when I can sit down at a piano and know I'll have a piano to play on. That's just where I feel most comfortable and in home in a sense. I don't know. That's kind of easy, but like, that's what I've grown up with. I always had like a little upright in the kitchen, you know, that I would always just sit down and play when I was growing up. And that's just, I love, love the piano, you know? So that's just kind of what made me want to, I've always been an instrumentalist, I guess is the short answer of all that. Honestly, this last, so yeah, I guess it all started with this last headlining tour that I did. I still have one show left in Orlando actually coming up pretty soon. This headlining tour is the first time I've ever actually done the whole live setup. So it really, there's been no changing and like a growing of it. It's still in, it's like literally the first stage of it. Um, but right now, really all it is, is I still have the CDJs and a lot of the mixing of tracks is happening on the CDJs. It's a lot of editing that I do before the set, you know what I mean? Make sure things are flowing correctly so I can play piano or drums in the transitions. Um, and so I have all those, a lot of those edits made. And then aside from that, I'm also running Ableton and I have like a little piano patch set up that I have a MIDI controller for, which is where all my piano sounds are running. And then on, so that's generally sitting on my left side. And then on my right side is a little SPDX, like those Roland drum pads um, with like, I think it's like nine um, pad regions on it. So you can like upload your own samples, which is general, which is what I did. And so I have like a whole little palette of like trappy kind of drums. um, And then another of all of the intro shit, which is like a bunch of bigger toms and like a slightly heftier snare and stuff like that. Um, which generally I like to just layer on top of what I have right now. Um, I think it's going to be really cool to have like the main snare of a track, you know, me triggering that, but that was just it all. I had to get everything like ready to go and set up for the tour a little too quick. Um, so I kind of just made it work the way that I could. Um, yeah. And then other than that, we have, uh, two marching snares that we carry around with us, which is cool. And I say us, I very recently brought on my buddy to do a tour, tour management stuff. Um, my buddy from like middle school, I met him in middle school and we were best friends all through high school. We were in marching band together. He was in drumline. I was in pit and then senior year we marched together in drumline, which was cool. And so he recently started touring around with me. Um, starting with this headlining tour, uh, doing some tour management stuff as well as performance. So a bunch of the tracks through the set, I have him come out on one of the snares and just play some marching shit that we wrote together. 
I love that. I, and I feel like that's in a lot of places missing from the EDM scene, if you will. Like it's, it's like you spend all this time in the studio, you make great music and then you just kind of play it up uh, off the USB and you kind of lose that performance element. Like some of the most enjoyable times for me, like I used to be in a band and that was so much fun playing drums in a band. Totally. It's a totally different feeling like grooving with a few people and having to keep time and like feel where each other is going. If you're like just jamming, you know, not playing anything that's like written, you're just kind of like grooving around. So cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what are some of like, how do you see that developing over time? Like, is there anything you want to add to it? Is there anything you want to change? Where do you want it to end up? Oh man, I've had so many crazy ideas that I've always wanted to see how, like, I mean, dream would be to play with a whole marching band, you know, or like an orchestra or something, you know what I mean? I think that would be awesome. Like, Odessa crushes that already though. They got the whole drum line out in front and they have like a trumpet, a trombone player. And it's like the most life-changing set. I think, well, it's up there. It's either like top one or two. Like it's amazing. Like I saw their set this last weekend at E-Force and it's just like, but it was probably it was the first set that I've seen in a really, really long time that literally made me feel like I was in another place. Like I didn't have any idea what was going on around me. I just wanted to be there in that music and what was happening and what they were. It was amazing. It was so cool, especially just because everything that they were doing is so choreo. It's very purposeful. Every single move that every person did was choreographed and had a purpose. You know what I mean? It wasn't just like a bunch of people like dicking around on drums or something, um, which I thought was really cool. But something like that in the future could be really cool. Um, I want the biggest thing that I would love to have is uh, like a baby grand piano up there, like all white mic'd that I could just sit down and like play through some of the set. That's my dream. I want that. What's it like uh, working with Seven Lions? Because like pretty much everyone listening to this has heard of Seven Lions. Phenomenal guy, producer. How did that relationship start? Um, I'm really curious. That was actually a really, really cool story. So, oh shoot, I don't even remember what year it was. It has to be over five years ago at this point. Um, but I met him very, very briefly at a global dance festival at Red Rocks in Morrison, Colorado. And I ran into him and was like, holy cow. So, okay, before the show, I was like crossing my fingers that I would run into him. So I brought him a USB with some tracks and like a little Word document that had a whole, yeah, yeah, you know the drill. Um, And so, yeah, I showed up and I like ran into him. And I was like, I caught eyes with somebody else that was like in his party at the time or whatever. I was like, is that seven lines? And she like nodded at me and I looked at him and I finally caught his eye and I was like, yo, are you seven lines? And he was like, yeah, I was like, dude, holy cow. I like, I like definitely fangirled for a second. I was like, yo, you are amazing. Like if I gave you a USB stick, would you have any interest in Like, would you have any interest in a USB stick of mine at all? And he was like, yeah, dude, totally lost it again, super freaked out, handed in the USB stick. It was like, yo, thank you. And then that night was great. Saw the set. It was super sick. Um, and then over the next like couple months, I didn't really hear anything from him. And so I kind of forgot about it. I was, which I was sort of expecting. He's super busy doing a bunch of stuff. I was like, whatever, like it's cool. I literally kind of just forgot about it. And then one day I opened my email, I like woke up and checked my email and I got this little email from Jeff Montalvo. That's like, Hey, like checked out your stuff. And I lost it. I freaked out. It was the happiest I've ever been in like ever. 
and uh, checked it out. And he was like, yeah, man, these tunes are really cool. I mean, all I really gave him were a bunch of like whips that I was like, you got nothing finished that it, he could actually do anything with. And he was like, yo, a lot of these are really cool. I like the sound. You got a really warm sound, like keep sending me stuff over the years. And like, I'll try and place it, like put them where I can, if I know where to place them, you know? And so that was kind of how that started. So yeah, over the years since then, it had been me just like sending him a few tracks here and there. Um, as I was progressing, you know, and learning more and more about production and he was like, yeah, these are cool. These are cool. You know, nothing ever really came about it. And then eventually he hit me up in another email and was like, dude, super stoked with all the, you know, all the success you've been having with these tracks lately. Like they're turning out amazing. And I was like, holy cow, Ty, thank you so much. Like, uh, if you ever like either want to work on a track or if I can remix anything of yours, I'd love to. And that's when I ended up remixing his falling away song. And that was amazing. Such a cool experience. Um, especially also working with lights, like what her voice is so sick. The first I've ever been to was a lights in owl city concert actually. Um, yeah, I grew up on owl city, little fun fact for the day. He's like my all time favorite for sure. Yeah, it's good. Just happy, chill, cheesy vibes. I love that shit. It's great. Yeah. So I finished the remix form. And then not too long after that is when he ended up sending this vocal from Alien over uh, to me and Nick and was just like, yo, guys, like I've had this vocal for a little while. Do you guys want to like work on this together? And we freaked out. We were like, this is the coolest vocal ever because it was like around a good tempo that we could do some old classic seven lines, like melodic dubstep shit, which we hadn't even done in a while. You know, we had like dabbled with that, but um, it had been a while since we've actually done like proper melodic dubstep and we were just like, yes, 100%. Yes. So that process was amazing. It was a bunch of just sending back and forth. Honestly, we had like, we started a little bit of it, left a part open, sent it back to him. He sent another, like he sent the first drop back. We're like, sweet. This is perfect. We did the second drop and then it was back and forth of just like, you know, tweaking each other's things and like adding little bits and pieces here and there, um, until it was done. And that became rush over me. so much it's in like my top 10 for sure awesome that means a lot dude thank you of course when you're not collaborating with someone what does your workflow look like how do you do you start a new song does it change every time um i know a lot of like i asked my audience what do you want me to ask see this guy they all said this you know what i want to know what his workflow looks like how does he make a track okay yeah totally um so that's honestly been kind of a shit show over the last few years. It's like changed so much, you know? And, um, lately I've had the most success or like the fastest success with starting with a vocal, like already having a top line that a vocalist had written and sends over. It's so easy. Cause if it's a vocal that I'm really feeling, um, it's the funnest experience and the funnest process ever. Cause you just like know exactly where it's going. And a lot of times if it's a vocal you really like, you probably already like the arrangement of it. You know what I mean? And there's not much you want to tweak in the vocal. So it makes it easy for you to not really focus on the vocal 
as much as focusing on like complimenting the vocal, you know, which like literally just happened. Um, I got a vocal a few days ago and I started it, I want to say Monday or Tuesday. And I basically just finished it up, um, last night. Um, club, I mean, I still have to do some like mastering tweaks, but, um, cranked it out super fast, which is not like me. Normally it takes me a few weeks to really like get to that point of a track where it's like, okay, cool. I think this is about done. I just need to really fix the master on it. Um, but if I'm not starting with a vocal, um, a lot of times I'll start with either drums or a really cool, like piano groove on It's the reason it's so different. I think though, is because I'm always starting tracks at different points in my life or like in different mindsets, if that makes sense. If I'm sitting down and I'm not feeling super creatively, like musically, um, it sometimes it'll, it'll, it's fun to just start with some drums, you know, cause that's easy. That's really more just like technical work, you know? So like if you're feeling a song, even you just pick that tempo, you know what I mean? Start making some drums, you know, just like pull some samples in, start making a cool drum groove that you really like. And then from there, if you got like a super sweet drum groove, that's just like grooving, you're chilling, you know, all you have to do is like come up with a cool like a uh, cool chord progression and then like a sweet melody. And then it's, it's easy to build from a drum groove just because I feel like that's a, it's a, it's a foundation for a song. You know, that's, what's going to drop the whole thing in the end anyways. So if you can start with that and you get a drum groove that you really like and it feels good and you can listen to it over and over, you'll probably be pretty set. Yeah. So I, I wish I could say there was like one way that I always start tracks, but it's very, it's very, it's different every time. Oh, of course. I, I don't think anyone's ever said there's like, like, cause I ask this question a lot and they're always like, oh no, it changes every time. <laughs> um, which is to be expected. Like production wise, what have you been super excited about recently in terms of like techniques? Is there anything you're trying to work on? Anything you've discovered? I'm super curious. Actually. Yeah. There's a cool, like, um, there's this really cool, uh, mastering technique that I've actually used a lot for just like random, it's like a parallel compression technique, but it's instead of just like smat, just over compressing it, you like squash the shit out of it with like a hard flipper. So like on a whole drum group, you can like the way I do, I don't really use sends all that much, which is stupid. I could probably save a lot on CPU if I was doing that, but I just throw, I'm in Ableton. So I just like chain and group things on this individual track in Ableton. It's also just easier for me to keep track of mentally. I can just, everything that I'm looking at on this track is happening right here. You know, I don't have to go over to a send and do any extra work elsewhere. For, I don't know. I'm weird, but, um, I'll set up a chain where like I'll have the one dry signal and then the one I'll set up a second chain that's just like squashing the compression and then like at, at New York stock you just like duck out a shitload of the mids after super compressing it so you're getting a lot of the lows and the super highs and you mix that in really lightly but then what's fun is like really tweaking the way you're compressing it so like hard clipping it and squashing it to where you're getting some crazy saturation and like distortion, you know what I mean? But then mixing that in, it just makes them hit super hard sometimes. You know, you got to be careful though, because like your lows can mix a little weird and sound a little too just washy and gross times. But um, yeah, I've just been having a lot of fun playing around with that. I've been getting some really cool sounds and then um, super saws have been like a little bit of an experiment lately because like when I was first making big melodic music and using super saws, I would always stack a shitload of notes, you know, at once. 
not to mention a bunch of layers of saws that I'm using too and sounds, but like each sound would have this chord that was like, I don't know, five to seven notes for each layer. Yeah, exactly. It was huge. And every layer would have five or seven notes in it. You know, it was just like massive chords, which is really cool. If you're just looking for that huge wall of sound, fat, you know, sound just to smack you in the face. But lately I've been trying to really cut back and only use notes that I specifically want to use because every time I would make chord stacks, it would almost be like muscle memory on a piano for me. I would just play chords and know which harmonics I liked hearing, but there were certain notes that I might not necessarily need in that chord stack. I would just be playing it because I'm like my hands are naturally doing that. And so it's been fun, like dialing that back a little bit and being like, okay, I want to be deliberate about every single note that I'm placing in this chord stack and not just mindlessly throwing a huge stack. So what would your, what would your decision-making process look like though? Is it like, I'll, I'll remove these two notes so I can fit like another sound in here or like the melody might work better or mostly it's removing notes for cleanliness and like deliberation of the chord that people are here. Like I've been listening to a lot of like, um, like RL grime is a really cool example or even that, that rusty edit of beautiful is so sick, but all these songs their their saws are like really in your face and loud and like they hit super hard, but I don't hear a shitload of notes going on at once. Does that make sense? Like they're all, there's like two notes in a stack, but that's all you need to get the chord across the way that, you know, like all the other chords, they just add noise and they may work, but they might not be the best. Yeah. Like simplicity. Exactly. I I think, I think we all like as producers overcomplicate things sometimes. 100%. That was the word. I think I was searching for that a whole time. Um, why, why do you think that is? I'm curious. Like I have my suspicions, but why do you think we tend to overcomplicate some things? Um, I mean, my reason for overcomplicating when I used to is just always hearing like growing up and playing in marching band or orchestra, you're always listening to like 80,000 layers at once, you know? And so you just want to add like another harmony and then another harmony and then a counterpart melody to go on top of them. You know, like you always hear, and you can do that for days and you can always be adding a harmony or a melody to something. But when you listen to like, like for me, what's been getting me lately is listening to like <clears throat> pop music more. So a lot of it, the production is really not that complicated, you know, but it is very, very deliberate in every single sound that they're chosen. And if you take out one element that's not in there, it may not be the pop song in the hit that it is right now, which is like huge to think about. It's like every single sound that is placed in this song needs to be here. And I think that's a really cool place to get with your production is like knowing when and how to play certain sounds in the mix. Man, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, pop music, because three years ago, maybe I was, I was kind of that person who was like, oh, pop music, like, uh, so easy to make, like, Same. yeah. You know, you know what I mean? But then like as time's gone on and I've listened to a lot of it, I'm like, this is so hard to do. Like, it is so hard to make a catchy song. Totally. Yeah. That just is the essential part. I feel that. Yeah. I would, can relate 100%. Yeah. It's, there's something beautiful about it, man. Um, exactly. It really is. Now, without sharing like all your secrets, what are some, what are some techniques that you use? Maybe not new ones necessarily that producers listening to this can implement in their next song uh maybe one to do with like 
composition because your music is very melodically, I don't know what words you use. It's amazing. Like it's very (laughs) cool. Thank you. Um, I mean, to be honest, a lot of the melodies do just come from years and years playing a piano or any instrument for that matter. So a lot of times I can just sit down at the piano and kind of tinker around and kind of almost land on something that I really like and then go back to that and like flush that idea out. Yeah. I mean, as far as like, that's, what's tough is like, as far as techniques, when it comes to melodies go, there's really no like tell all technique to just like, here's how to write a super melody, you know, it's just like, I mean, honestly, a lot of it is just listening to music enough that you know when you hear a good melody versus when you know you don't and getting to the point where you're honest with yourself enough to be like, I don't like the melody that I just wrote. I need to scrap this and look for another one. You know what I mean? Even if you've spent hours working on it. yeah, Totally. Because that's hard to do at first, you know, like when you're cranking out for hours and hours. I mean, especially when you first start out, because it feels that hours and hours working on a song when you don't know a lot feels like an eternity of just misery and oh my gosh i'm not getting anywhere you know but you got the quicker you can learn to be like nope i don't like this melody i know i spent a lot of time on it but i don't like it i'm gonna scrap it um the better which also it's not like it's not as easy as just being honest but you also kind of have to learn what it means to have a good melody you know and what a good melody is and what that might sound like um which also just takes in my opinion a lot of just listening to really good music like listen to music that everybody likes even if you don't like it if you can understand why people like why people like one specific song so much then you know that's like a step in the right direction as far as making something that everybody will like if that's what you're going for you know which want to make a career out of music part of you has to want that you know unless you want to just luck out there's like this very very small percentage of artists out there who just like throw up the bird and they're like, yo, whatever, I'm just going to make whatever. And everybody eats it up and they love it, you know, which is super cool. And that's a huge blessing. And I wish that was the case for everybody, but unfortunately it's not, you know what I mean? Not everybody can just write whatever they want and be like, yeah, whatever, this is me. I'm going to do me and expect to make it in the industry, you know, hundred percent. And I think that you look at someone like yourself or like seven lions I've always liked Seven Lines because he makes music that is complex um, in terms of sound design, mixing melodically. Yet it's still like the songwriting is so understandable. I think that's the word. You have to make music that's understood by the listener. Yeah, because like a lot of a lot of producers will make music for producers. Do you know what I mean? Oh, totally, totally. Like uh, like Noisia or something. Yeah, they are like the most amazing, like craziest producers ever. But like, they're not like massive, you know what I mean? But like every producer who like looks up to a producer, that producer looks up to noise. You know what I mean? It's like they are at the top of their game. I feel like when it comes to sound design and production. Yeah. But like I've, I've shown my girlfriend noisier and she's just like, what? What is this? Yeah, totally. Weird stuff. It's not like palatable or like mass appeal to it. You know, it's just like, yeah, I agree. But I also, I also think that's a challenge to, to like have that. I want to be a good producer. Like I want to be respected in the producer community. Yeah. But I also want to make music for the consumers, like for the listeners, for people who don't make music. I like that about Flume. I think I'd have to say like Flume is really good. In my opinion, Flume is really good at being super experimental with the sounds he's using. And like even his 
like his groove is so crazy. Like so much of EDM coming out is so quantized and like to the grid exactly. And just locked onto a beat. And then flumes just like pulling hats way off the grid, you know what I mean? And throwing hits like on off beats and like not on the grid, you know what I mean? Which gives the groove a very cool, like laid back feelsy, like actual groove, not just like a beat that's driving, you know, it's like, there's actually a feel to the percussion and everything that he's using, which is really cool. And then on top of that, he's using some crazy sounds that are like a little distorted, but like weird, weird sounds, but that work and are very approachable in what he's doing. It's so hard to explain, but I think he's doing a really good job. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Uh, who other than flume, I mean, it sounds like he's an inspiration. Who else is an inspiration to you? when it comes to music, not necessarily just like electronic artists. No, totally. Uh, I mean, like I said earlier, very briefly, Owl City is definitely up there just for his like vibe and the attitude that he gives off in his music. Have you heard his orchestral stuff, Adam Young's scores? Oh yeah. That was it the Excelsior project that he just put out not too long ago. It was all used to guitar and like soundscape, like movie soundtrack kind of stuff. It was amazing. He's got so many projects. He's got like, what, Swimming with Dolphins, Port Blue, I will say, I mean, it's a whole list, but it's all amazing stuff. And uh, yeah, all of his music is just like happy, pretty, uplifting. Like there's not a single bad, aggressive, angry vibe about his music, which I like, you know, I'm kind of cheesy like that. And I just like, so I kind of related to that from a pretty young age. You had like a, a heavy influence, didn't you? Like, um, I remember watching an interview or like, or maybe it was a live video and you talked about how you were influenced by the heavier stuff, the hardcore. Yeah. It was like a whole post hardcore phase where I was into like asking Alexandria, we came as Romans attack, attack all this super, it was like post hardcore. So it was like, it was kind of hardcore metal, but with a bunch of like fruity synthy electronic elements in there, which I loved. I, I love that, that like bridge of, like almost the contrast of super pretty to super dark, which is what I've been like growing to appreciate a ton lately is like in, so like seven lions, for example, he throws this like crazy dark side trance in the middle of his set, which personally I'm not, I like, I wouldn't go and just listen to side trance, you know, but in that set and in that moment that sets such a good contrast for when he goes back into his pretty melodic dubstep stuff. It's like, holy cow it's like overwhelming because it's so beautiful and so different from what you just came out of which was this dark pounding side trance stuff and it opens up into this beautiful stuff it's like i don't think you would necessarily be able to achieve that same thing without that dark sound like preceding it i think it adds another level of like holy shit this is cool so our city who else Okay, yeah, Owl City, Seven Lines, obviously, Flume. Um, let's see, let's see. I've been really digging a lot of, like, specifically lately, like I've been telling you, but, like, R.L. Grime and uh, Rusty and that whole kind of, it's, like, hard-hitting trap music, but it's still very melodic and, like, pretty in a sense, you know, which I like. A lot of my music hasn't ever, I've had a couple songs that have a little more, like, driving kind of vibe to them, but, like, lately... Like a lot of songs on the album have a little bit more of that driving factor in it, which I'm pretty excited about. Let's see. John Bellion, which is like pretty out. Don't think I've come across. Oh, man. Okay. You should definitely, whenever you get a chance, definitely check out John Bellion. He's more of like, 
a hip hop kind of like uh, more pop realm um, than any. But he does this like his live setup is amazing too. He's super talented. He actually uh, he wrote you know that I'm friends with the monsters. It's under he wrote that and won an award for it or something. I can't remember. But he's an amazingly talented dude. His whole live setup is like him with like six or seven other musicians and instrumentalists on stage that just like jam the whole time and they crush it and are amazing. And his songwriting is just so cool. That's what I love the most about him is his songwriting and his note choices are always really, really amazing. I like it. Um, Trevor, one more question before you go. Let's say you're walking down the street. um, This UFO comes down. You're about to be abducted, but they give you a piece of paper and a pen uh, to leave behind three pieces of advice for music producers on earth. What's on that piece of paper? Know exactly what you want out of music. Like meaning, do you actually want a career or do you actually, or do you want to have fun with music and not care about a career? Have fun with it for sure. Always just make sure you're having fun with it because as soon as you stop having fun with it, it becomes not your music. I would say just make sure no matter what you're doing, take some time out of every day to do something related to music, whether it's trying to make a song or just sitting down and making a drum groove or going on YouTube and learning how to make a patch that you really want to learn and silence or serum or whatever you're using. Yeah. I'd say that would be another big one. I love it. Hey man, thanks heaps for taking the time. Uh, And where can people find you online if they want to follow your music, learn more about you, so on and so on? Who online? Um, I'd say Facebook for sure. Uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, I'm on everything. You can generally find me just by searching Seb the Sky. 